Hi, I'm Shay, and welcome to Kombucha and Color. Kombucha and Color is a weekly podcast hosted by me, Shay Dyer, a yoga teacher and creative graphic designer, and Anna Marsh, a functional medicine practitioner and women's health coach with a love of all things health and fitness. This podcast is here to inspire women to embrace health and live life bright. You can find more about me, Shay, at shaydyer.com. You can find out more about me, Anna, at annamarshnutrition.co.uk. And each week we will be bringing you inspiring content for a healthier and happier mind, body, heart, and soul. Hi, it's Anna. Ever since I was a child, I wanted to study the power that food can have on our health. When I started practicing as a nutritional therapist a decade ago, I realized that what is just as important is the relationship that we have with food. This is very often a mirror for the relationship we have with ourselves. Through my own personal journey and health challenges, I was forced to dig deeper and understand things that go beyond just our physical bodies. I learned the importance of working with the whole person to create a balanced body, mind, heart, and soul. I'm now passionate about using my diverse toolbox to help women slow down, take better care of themselves, and ultimately cultivate a life which is a reflection of self-love. If you feel like this is speaking to you, I created a 43-page guide nine steps to love, nourish, and connect with your body to create an energized life with a happy heart and soul. You can download it for free and join my Grounded Goddess community for even more inspiration by visiting groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash nine, the number, hyphen steps. That's groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash nine, the number, hyphen steps, S-T-E-P-S. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the community. Hi everyone, it's Shay here and welcome to another episode of Kombucha and Color. I am without Anna today, but I have the lovely Tiffany on the line and I'm so excited to speak with her today because she is going to be sharing on a topic that is so close to my heart. So we have Tiffany Saxon Kite, lovely name, I love it by the way. And Tiffany Saxon Kite is an art psychotherapist. She's just recently qualified with this art psychotherapy. I don't know, is it a diploma, degree? We'll get more into that as we go in. But welcome to the show, Tiffany. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Nice to be here. Thank yeah. you. So, do you just want to explain a little bit about your background up to the point of you deciding to do your art psychotherapy certification or whatever it is? We'll maybe get into that as you talk yeah. about it. But yeah, just share a little bit about who you are and where you've come from and where you are now. Absolutely. So I suppose I've always been really artistic and enjoyed art sort of from a really young age. And I always remembered sort of wanting to paint and make and be creative from a child. But I think my real first sort of introduction to art therapy sort of came when I was at school, actually, and I was ill and I had some time off school. And one of my mum's friends came around to the house and she bought some art materials in a little box with words and quotes and a sketchbook. And I remember her just saying, she suggested that I use these materials to sort of paint or draw what these feelings or words meant to me. And I sort of remember being really curious about that. And I think that's when I sort of learned about the healing power of art making and about its therapeutic qualities. And I sort of just became really curious about it. And I remember starting to research from then, actually, what is this? What have I just taken part in? And sort of 
learning what an art psychotherapist was. And I think that's when I really decided that's what I want to be. And that was sort of 20 years ago. So it sort of that's when the journey for me sort of started. So then as I progressed through school, I did some work experience with an art therapist in the NHS. And I remember sort of interviewing them and finding that actually you need to have some life experience before you go into being an art psychotherapist. And I remember that sort of really sticking with me because I was obviously very young then. And I just sort of thought, okay, I wonder how this journey is sort of going to pan out for me. But I still remember just that curiosity, I think, was there from that very early age. So I sort of continued through this art path doing, you know, art GCSE and A-level. I did my first degree was a textiles degree. So I was interested in print. Sort of moved to London with my now husband and thinking, okay, I'm going to sort of explore this sort of printed textile world. And I worked sort of a year for free, but I really sort of felt that something was lacking, something I don't know. It wasn't satisfying me. I wanted a role where I was sort of had some more purpose or more meaning to it, I think. So I sort of quite quickly within that first year realized, you know, that wasn't for me. And then I applied for a role in a special needs school as a teaching assistant. And I thought, you know, not sure if this is for me. I'm going to give it a go, thinking at the back of my mind, you know, or maybe this will help with this life experience that I need to need to have to get into the art psychotherapy and I remember the first day I just thought wow this is amazing this is a really special place and somewhere where I can really see myself being and working so I did a few years as a teaching assistant really enjoyed that wanted a bit more wanted to progress further there so I did a PGCE so I did my second degree and I went back there as a primary teacher so I did some teaching at that school and still with the art at the back of my mind and I became the head of art so I was the head of art at this school, which I really loved. There was something about marking and grading the artwork that I was sort of just, it was the nature of the role, but I, there was something about that that I just thought, oh, I'm still clinging on to wanting to see it from this different side and being, you know, an art psychotherapist. So that's when I decided after a few years of being a teacher and the head of art, I decided actually this is now the right time for me to apply to do my master's, which was a three-year part-time masters which I just qualified from yeah in the summer so I recently qualified but I got there I've done it which is great so the master's is the art psychotherapy is the master's that you have that's it yes amazing and you know what as I'm listening to your story I get such a like a warm open feeling in my chest just how everything has unfolded exactly as it's meant to be with all the experience that you've accrued and this working in a special needs school and having that experience as a young child and I think it's so fascinating that even at that young age, you must have had some kind of internal shift with how this creativity has affected you in order for you to be curious from that age. And I think that is so powerful. Like I'm a huge proponent. I'm a huge believer of creativity. I run an online platform, Move, Breathe, Create, which is moving the body, breath work, and getting into that creative state because as adults, we lose it. And it's so sad because it's so vital to our life force. It's vital to us being able to engage and create and be with this vitality of life around us. So yeah, I love, love the work that you do. I'm so excited to speak to you a little bit more. <laughs> so then what were the key things that you kind of took away from your art therapy training or how does it work you know, to someone who doesn't understand art therapy at all? What is it? And give an overview of it. Okay. So I guess art psychotherapy is a form of psychotherapy, but it uses art media as its primary mode of expression and communication so it's not a 
diagnostic tool, but it's sort of a medium to address emotional issues, which could be confusing or distressing for clients. So as an art psychotherapist, we can work with anyone, really. So we can work with children, young people, adults, elderly, and with clients with a wide range of difficulties. So sort of disabilities, behavioural and mental health problems, learning, physical disabilities, life-limiting conditions, neurological conditions and physical illness. So there's really so many different people that we can work with. Personally, myself, I sort of specialise in working with young people. So I've had quite a lot of experience working in primary schools, infant and nursery schools, and with adolescents. So that's sort of really where I feel my focus is. But as I said, you know, art psychotherapists can work with a really huge range of people. And art therapy, it can be provided in groups or individually. So I think that's kind of important, the fact that it can be one-to-one or it can be on a larger scale. And I think it's important as well to sort of mention that it's not a recreational activity or an art lesson. I think sometimes that can be sort of a thought that it could be like that, but it can be enjoyable. It can be a really positive experience. It it can be really challenging. It can be really difficult, but it's just important to know. I always make sure that when I start sessions with clients, I sort of really highlight the fact that this isn't a lesson. This is different from school. This is a separate space for you to feel comfortable to express whatever you want to express. It's different from, we might be in the building of a school, but this space is different. I think that's really important. And also the young people or the clients that are engaging in art therapy, you know, they don't need to have any previous experience or expertise in art at all to have art therapy. That's not a requirement at all. It's not a thing at all. So sort of how it works, I suppose, It's not primarily concerned with making an aesthetic or diagnostic assessment of an image. I think that's another sort of preconceived idea that an art therapist might look at a painting and sort of analyse it. And that's not really, I mean, that can be part of it, but that's not really what it's all about. It's sort of the overall aim from an art psychotherapist's point of view is to enable a client to change and grow on a personal level through the use of art materials in a safe and facilitating environment. I think that's really key, that sort of safe space. And the relationship between the art psychotherapist and the client is of central importance. That's just really, really important. But I suppose where art therapy is different from other therapies is that it's sort of this three-way process between a client, the therapist, and then the image or the artefact. It's sort of a triangular relationship which is really significant and quite different from a lot of other therapies I suppose but art therapy offers the opportunity for expression and communication and can be particularly helpful to people who find it hard to express their thoughts and feelings verbally it gives them that other outlet or that other option so some clients might not make any artwork and just want to talk some may just want to make artwork and not talk at all and some it might be a combination of both So I think it's sort of being flexible and adaptable and and sort of led by the client. You know, every session is completely different. Mm. So I know that you've obviously had your focuses on young adult or young children and more sort of the adolescent age. Um, And I think maybe in that class of people, that age group, people are less inhibited to create. Like they can go and a child can quickly and easily pick up pens and papers where I think as you progress into adulthood, you become a little bit more resistant to creating because of that, as you said earlier, this like feeling that, oh, I'm going to be marked, I'm going to be judged, I'm not good enough to be an Mm -hmm. artist, I'm good enough. Are there any tools or things that you have come across that 
kind of break down that barrier or is it purely about that safe space that you create between the therapist and the client? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think, yeah, I'm not really a simple answer to that one because obviously every client that comes into the space is completely different. But I think you're completely right that as people get older, it can be more challenging to be creative and feel there's a pressure and anxiety that people get as they get older. But I think it really is that building that relationship and creating that safe space is the most key. However, sometimes suggesting making work together can be a really interesting starting point to sort of open that door in a way, mm. whether it's you know painting together or even almost like a call and response of artwork. So maybe, you know, the therapist could make a mark and then the client could make a mark in response. And I think the client observing that the therapist may not be making perfect artwork or specific artwork and seeing that you know, we all make mistakes and we all might feel anxieties about certain things. I think that's, you know, key as well, really. Mm, I love that. So you've spoken a lot about making marks in terms of like a physical image, is kind of how I see it. Other kind of modalities that work in art therapy, other than like sort of painting, is it like a self-expression through the body or is there any other kind of thing? What kind of modalities and tools I guess to use physically yeah so I suppose as an art psychotherapist predominantly it would be art media so we'd have in the bases that I work in schools in the therapy room we'll have sort of wet and dry materials so we'll have paints and chalks and dough and clay sand trays with figurines soft toys dolls houses so we have a lot of materials but I think we often have musical instruments so some of the rooms have drums in we often have balls or sort of hoops so some sort of active equipment yoga mats so there's a lot of different things that can be used within the space and as I said before it's sort of really client-led so whatever the client is drawn to as an art psychotherapist that can be incorporated into our session so yeah we might be making art that we might not, we could be doing something very, very different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then if you are in a situation where say it's more an adolescent group, are you then directing questions to the clients or you're just kind of standing back and letting whatever comes up through the session come up? Or is there some kind of facilitation that happens on your part to create a little bit of structure in terms of where the session goes? I think it really depends on the client group, actually, the clients that you're working with, because some people need a little bit of structure and a little bit of support especially maybe if you're working with a group sometimes it needs a little bit more structure but the way I work and the way my training sort of the focus was was it's very client-led so although there might be some structure really on the whole it's down to the client where things go. Mm, Amazing so what are some of the results or the things that people can expect to experience and feel once they are in a pro or maybe in process with you or in process in an arts and therapy thing and is the process a one-off thing do you do it over a couple of weeks and um, I suppose it all depends like you know yeah I think I mean it all depends really on funding especially working in schools whether some schools might want you to go in for a term some people might want sort of a six-week block I mean I'm really lucky I'm working in a couple of schools both sort of for full years so they really really get to know the clients really well but in terms of results, it's obviously very different because obviously having that teaching background, it was very much sort of data and statistics and marking and progression. And obviously this is very, very different. And I think it's, I can certainly see results and I can certainly see changes and shift. 
but it is somewhat harder to measure, I guess, in a way compared to my work as a teacher. And obviously, what, the, could you elaborate on some of the shifts that you experience? Like, what is it? Yeah. More? So obviously, all the work is very confidential. So it's really hard to go into specific work with clients and the detail of, because I suppose every client is so different that you'd see different things with each client. But some of the work has been really based on sort of attachment or providing clients something that's been really really significant is providing clients with a positive ending so some of the people I've worked with who've had really really challenging lives things that are happening in their lives now and in their past and you know people may have come into their lives and left their lives without any of their control and it's been very very distressing for them but you know working towards a positive ending and providing a sort of a set amount of time where we can build a relationship and the relationship can be really trusting and positive you know, knowing early on that the ending is going to come to an end, but sort of working towards that sort of thing has been really useful to some of the people I've worked with. Mm. But with thinking about children, I suppose, particularly, you know, some of them have found it easier to engage when in class. So based on speaking to teachers and parents, providing them with that space, like I mentioned earlier, outside of the classroom. It's, it's within the school environment, so it's familiar, but it's separate from the classroom where they can express freely, and just have that space for themselves. Sometimes it just has an effect that that space can be what they need so that when in the classroom, they can actually be more present and engage more in lesson time. Each week, we get incredible feedback about our episodes of Kombucha and Colour. We know our show is touching, inspiring, and helping hundreds of women, and we would like to reach even more. Can you help? You can help other women find the inspiration that you have found if you head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. If you screenshot your review and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed tagging myself, Anna, Shay, or Kombucha and Color, we'll send you a wonderful restful yoga nidra practice to download so you can find some peace and calm in your day or a better night's sleep at night. Additionally, everyone who enters and leaves a review and shares it on Instagram will be put into a lucky prize draw to win a copy of my Beat the Bloat guide and Shay's yoga guide. You can love your body from the inside out with 174 pages, including over a hundred pages of recipes, which walk you through my 28 day digestive reset process. This is perfect if you want to reset your body, address any unwanted health symptoms, or support your skin, hormones, energy, and digestion. Shay's 173-page yoga guide includes 116 pages of detailed pose analysis. It will give you all the tools you need to teach yourself yoga so you can sequence, practice, and flow safely in your very own home. Remember, all you need to do is go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, screenshot the review, and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed tagging myself, Anna underscore Marsh underscore nutrition, Shay at Indie Yoga Life, or Kombucha and Color, Kombucha underscore and underscore color. Head on over and do that right now before you forget, and then your yoga nidra practice will be on its way. 
And something that was interesting that you mentioned about this idea of attachment, we've recently done a podcast episode on when the body says no. And I've just been listening to it this morning. And one of the key things of this is the attachment and the need to have this basic differentiation between my emotional stuff and somebody else's emotional stuff without that attachment, without that kind of merging with somebody else's stuff. And I think that can be very common in perhaps traumatic um, childhood relationships and you know family situations from young. And what's very interesting as you were talking about that triangle is that it's creating an opportunity for there to be some kind of external way for the child to, or person or anybody to put something on paper where it's not in relation to another person. That relation is the attachment. Yeah. You're not forming an attachment to the art therapist or to the art psychotherapist. Like there's something powerful about having your own power to be able to create that is an expression that is not going to affect, not going to attach, not going to attune to anybody else's needs, wishes, wants, desires, you know, there's a lot that is very powerful about having that medium that is completely separate and differentiated. Absolutely. And I think that's where art psychotherapy is quite unique. It really provides that triangular relationship, which is very different, but can provide really something very useful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in terms of like who benefits from the thing, have you had loads of different people coming through? I mean, I know you're working obviously in a school setting. Is this something that you could do in a private setting or how does it work? Yes. So at the moment I'm working in schools and I think I work quite closely with Senkos who will refer the children on to me. And just, just sorry, just Senkos, can you break that down for everybody? Oh, yeah. <laughs> just all this lingo. I'm part of a networking group and all of these women, you're all put in these like OBGs immediately. And it's all these like hyphenated words. What are these things? Species, yes. The special educational yeah. needs coordinator within okay. the school. And I suppose some of the things that they could refer a child to me for, they could be experiencing emotional and behavioural difficulties. They could be struggling with particular life events, such as bereavement, family breakdown or illness. They could have suffered abuse, bullying, trauma, have attachment difficulties, could have communication and social difficulties, could be in danger of exclusion or have special educational needs such as ADHD or autistic spectrum disorder. So even with just within that school environment, there's a huge variety of reasons why someone might be referred, even if they're just withdrawn, experiencing low mood, um, or have misplaced anger or anxiety issues. And all those things sort of affect their development, their ability to maintain positive relationships and their capacity to achieve in school. So sort of any of those things that might have been observed by teachers or Senkos. <laughs> could be useful but obviously I've got peers who work in a variety of other settings so some of my peers work in prisons or in hospitals so it really is such a wide community I suppose of art psychotherapists yeah wow the healing power of art I think is just so powerful and it's so wonderful to see it being recognized by more and more people and especially within the school system because clearly there is something that happens do the kids enjoy it I mean obviously not every session is enjoyable if they're having to really go into something that is not comfortable or maybe something that is feeling shameful or guilty or there's grief or whatever but Mm -hmm. is there an enjoyment some kind of growth I guess that they're experiencing yeah do you know what I can really feel a sense of the children finding it useful and like you said some sessions might not be enjoyable we might be working through some really difficult and challenging things but 
on the whole, the children are really, when I turn up at the door and sort of wait, put my head through the door to say it's time, on the whole, I mean, the children just really, really want to come. They want to be in that space. And I think it, it is, like I kept saying about creating that sort of safe, facilitative space where they can feel comfortable to express themselves. But I certainly do see a lot of enjoyment. And do you know what? Sessions can be fun. Like there's lots of sessions where there's laughter and joy and, you know, you're really building that positive relationship that some of those young people, you know, maybe don't have in their lives. So I think it's not all reflecting on really difficult, challenging things. It's also about celebrating positive things too. So yeah. It's a really interesting space. Mm. So would you be able to walk us through like a typical session that you had or like a overview, obviously not giving any personal or confidential details, but just kind of give a, what a session would look like from the moment you welcome, we're doing this and what would that session look like? Okay. Yeah. So I suppose after a child has been referred to me, I'll sort of meet up with them just to introduce myself and explain very briefly what art therapy is and I'll often um well I'll take them into the art therapy space and sort of like I said before really highlight the fact that this is a separate space and it's a space for them that the space is confidential and explain what confidential means but then also mention that if we talk about things where I feel concerned or have any worries that I would need to pass that on to someone else I make that very sort of clear early on that this is a very safe space and it's just for the two of us. But however, if I ever feel worried or concerned, you know, I would need to mention that to another adult within the school. And then it's a case of sort of exploring the space, really. So lots of the spaces I work in have a variety of art materials and other things. And we'll sort of go around and see what's in there. And I'll let them know that they've got their own special box and their own sketchbook and all their work will be kept safe and secure and private sort of highlighting that and then sessions like I said earlier as well it might often start with creating something together that that seems quite common especially in schools I've been working in that it begins by making something together and the session will last for 50 minutes so sorry that making together will that just be random marks on a piece of paper or will it be directed by you to say okay we now are going to draw some family or we're now going to do something is it or is it just purely about expression on a page it can be anything (laughs) and every session is so so different so some children straight away want to get out the clay and we'll be building a sculpture together some children might want to get lots of pots out and we might fill them with water and be squeezing paint and mixing and pouring Some children might be drawn to the sand tray or we might be setting out scenes with different figurines, but it's always led by the child. So unless, you know, sometimes there might need to be some prompting by me or some suggestions, but on the whole, it would always be led by what they want to do and how they would like to use the space. Okay. Yeah. So carry on. You said sessions are then 50 minutes. So sessions are 50 minutes. So we might start by making something together that... Often there's a sort of pattern emerges of making together, making separately alongside one another, then maybe coming back to make something together again. But it depends. Some children or some young people might want to spend the whole session working on one thing. Some children might want to have, you know, 10 different things on the go at the same time or be going from one thing to another. So I think, yeah, that's really, really key thing is that no session has ever been the same. 
in all the sessions that I've done. Okay. I actually had to do an exhibition for my graduation to produce a piece of work. And I was trying to think, what did I want to display? What did I want to put up? And I got this jar and I made lots and lots of different, it's actually made from plasticine, lots of different spheres to represent each therapeutic encounter I had had over my training. So I think it was filled, I can't remember, maybe... 230 or something of these spheres but I'd used different colors and blended them differently so each one was completely unique in this glass jar and I've still got it I've kept it because it feels I don't know quite symbolic I guess because even now like I was I'm just thinking now I should carry on making those and add these to the yeah. jar actually because it really just shows how different every session is. Mm-hmm. So though you said in the beginning you're not looking to analyze and you're not looking to do any kind of formal grading as such but is there as you as a psychotherapist are there particular patterns that you're looking out for when a child creates or expresses are there particular things that you need to be mindful of like this is coming out in this way I need to be present with this or I need to watch for this I need to check in with this like this is not okay this is you know what not that it's not okay but just your hat as a therapist rather than the expression part like how do you balance that absolutely so I think something that's really really key is having a great supervisor so I have external supervision and that is really really important so that's where I take all of those things all of the questions or the feelings I have after sessions and I take images of the work that might have been created and that's a really important space as a psychotherapist where I explore offload that's a really really important space that sort of oversees all of my therapeutic work. But in the moment, there's certain things that I have in mind. I think actually it goes back to that early curiosity I had about what is art psychotherapy. It's the same within a session, just being curious. So all the time, I'm not making assumptions. Oh, someone's drawn this, it must mean this. But just having a curiosity about why things might have been made, what feelings might have been behind that, and being aware of my own feelings. Mm. So how do I feel? And would that be the same as that person? And so just having a curious mind, I think, at all times and communication with my supervisor feels really important. Mm. It's interesting that you mentioned, you know, your feelings and your sort of take on the session, because what that sounds like to me is very much intuition led. It's very much, okay, I intuition is about acknowledging the feelings that are within your heart, within your gut, from your body that you can respond to this environment that's coming up. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that I think is one of the key aspects of living a creative life is it taps you deeper into your own intuition. So I think that there's a huge connection and correlation between that. And it is arriving at a place in a very open hearted space without those assumptions, as you said, without the judgments, without those things. So what are the practices that you do as Tiffany herself in a home like that keep you in that creative state, that keep you in that kind of open-hearted place? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) So I make art myself. So for myself, I paint. And I think that feels like a really important part of my time. So my own space. I live with my husband and I've got a little sausage dog and spending time with the two of those is really important to me the two of them and going for walks being outside having time and space for me I think I've really realized that doing this role that's really important so making sure that I give myself time 
I think just me time. So yeah, it could be could be going for a walk, meeting a friend for a coffee, going to the gym, just anything that provides me with time just for myself is really, really important. And I think to be able to be a good art psychotherapist, I need to self-care is really important. And looking after myself is an important part of my job. Mm-hmm. I also, I completely agree with everything that you said there. And it's like your ability to be able to lead a session or whatever it is, it comes from you being able to stay in that open-hearted space, stay in that place where you are, you know, your boundaries are, are really set. You really can connect to yourself. And for me, creative practices as well. Is so fundamental for that. Yeah, I love that analogy. And it's just, I think also as you realize like what you're giving your clients is that safe space is like how important it is for us to have that safe space as well. Like as adults, we don't get it. Like when do we carve out 20 minutes in our day that this is my safe space that I can mm-hmm. process what's gone on in my day, my week, my month, like whatever's come up, like this is my time to really heal that to move through it in whatever way like we all have stuff that brushes us up the wrong way and like taking that time out whether it is painting or baking or whatever like I always say to people on I run yoga and creativity retreats and I say to people you know it's not about the end product that you make it's not about the what that comes out of it it's the process that you move through as you are creating the thing it's about giving yourself that time just to be in that flow state which is that you know alpha brainwave state when you really drop into that creative flow when time disappears like you just lose track of all those things and it's so important for us and we just don't get it enough absolutely I completely agree. (laughs) Yeah. So is there anything else that you want to add about your journey, about just being an art psychotherapist and anything else that you want to share? Yeah, good question. I suppose, no. I think you see yourself going? (laughs) I feel really satisfied, I suppose, that I've got to this point. I feel like this point's been a long time coming now and to actually be there, qualified, doing what I wanted to do 20 years ago. I just feel really lucky I suppose and I feel really lucky to obviously I've been working with people who've had such such challenging times it really makes me so appreciative of the things I have in my life so I think it really really um, makes me value you know my parents my friends my husband my dog and just really value and appreciate everything Mm. I have Mm. amazing oh I love that well please let us know where people can find you what's the easiest way for people to get in touch if they are looking if they're thinking you know this may be something that my child might be looking or a teen or maybe for themselves and maybe a a personal capacity how can people best get hold of you yeah should I put give you some information or should I just, what's the best way to do that? Well, I can put information. I will get information from you and we can put it into the show notes and people can have a look at the show notes from there. So maybe perfect. that's the best. I'll do that option. <laughs> Perfect, perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the show. It's been so lovely to chat to you and I'm so looking forward to seeing where you go and maybe I'll get you in to do a creative tutorial for the Move, Breathe, Create platform. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tiffany. I will see everybody again soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Kombucha and Color. If you have enjoyed or been inspired by our conversations today, please leave a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes. Don't forget to share with friends and family. This will help other women find inspiration to live life bright. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Come find me, Shay, by searching Shay Dyer Yoga on Facebook or Instagram. 
You can find me, Anna, by searching Anna Marsh on Facebook or Instagram. And remember, you can always refer to the links in the show notes. See you next week. Hi, it's Shay here. Take a moment right now to reflect on how you measure a successful day for yourself. For a long time, I measured the success of my day based on the number of Instagram likes or followers I gained, the money I made, or the amount of love or praise I received. Whilst these are wonderful things to desire, using them as a metric of success left me feeling really depleted. It was only after some honest soul searching that I've truly shifted my metrics so that now I define my success on whether I'm able to answer yes to the following three questions. Have I moved my body today? Have I breathed or sat in stillness today? Have I created something today? Move, breathe, create. When I focus on these as measures of a successful day, I am able to really slow down, get out of the busyness of my head, back into my body, and manifest things from a really authentic place. What's even crazier is that when I focus on these three things, all the other shiny pennies, the money, the praise, the followers, the likes, they all flow into my life with such ease as a result of me being in an energized, calm, creative, and aligned state. It's completely changed my outlook on life, and it's made me a much happier person. I really want to share all my tools with you so that you too can manifest the things you want in your life from this energized, calm, creative, and aligned state and feel really happy whilst doing it. Come and join me at movebreathecreate.com where you will find ways to energize your body and calm your mind along with creative tutorials and techniques to get you into that creative manifesting state. Most yoga studio monthly memberships cost upwards of £100 a month and you can join me over at movebreathecreate.com where you can find not only yoga practices and tutorials but also workbook downloads, community, meditations, soul work, journal ideas, creative prompts, and inspiration, all for less than £10 a month. It's like your own personal yoga retreat space. Come connect back to your body, mind, and soul with me at movebreathecreate.com. I look forward to seeing you inside of the community.